Welcome to the Love and Light Live podcast, empowering crystal lovers to learn and experience the art of crystal healing. Get ready to listen in and follow your soul calling with crystals. Hello, and thank you so much for joining me for the Love and Light Live podcast brought to you by loveandlightschool.com. I'm your host, Ashley Levy, and this podcast is the number one place for all things crystals. In today's show, we're going to be talking about Imbolc and the Wheel of the Year. So maybe you've heard of Imbolc, maybe you're very familiar with it, but we're going to talk about the Wheel of the Year and this very special holiday that's a part of it that's coming up on February 1st here in the Northern Hemisphere. But before we get started, I'd like to answer one of our listener questions. Remember, you can submit your own questions anytime at loveandlightschool.com slash ask for the chance to have your question answered right here on the show. So today's question comes from Candice, and Candice asks, how does one find their personal stone? I've tried, but I'm drawn to quite a few. So far, my personal faves are Chrysocolla and Elat Stone, the Stone of Solomon. Do you have any recommendations? So, Candice, I know that there are a few authors um, and crystal teachers out there who talk about this concept of the personal stone, and they all have a little bit different viewpoint in regard to what they mean by this. So in my perspective, if you were asking about a personal stone, it would be a stone that's really serving as a strong companion for you at this time. So in terms of finding or choosing a crystal that you really resonate with, that's something that you really need, that's really supporting you right now, honestly, a big part of this is intuition. And it's natural. You say, you know, I've tried, but I've, I've been drawn to quite a few I don't feel like we have to really narrow it down to just one crystal because we change and grow all the time. We're influenced by everything from astrology and and what's happening in the cosmos to our mood, you know, in, in that moment. So I think there are times that you might reach for one stone versus another based on how you're feeling, what you're going through in your life, what the bigger picture things are, um, things that you're working on growing through, obstacles and challenges you're facing and overcoming, um, things that you have to celebrate and be grateful for. Like All of these things influence us, right? We are mutable beings. We are not fixed into being one way or being one thing. It's natural as humans that we're in this sort of constant state of flux. And that's one of the great things about crystals is that they're kind of the opposite of that. They're so grounding and anchoring and stable and supportive. And so when we bring those into our energy field, which is always fluctuating, always changing, they act as a way for us to be more present, to be focused, to be open to what we're experiencing and how we're feeling in that given moment. And so I feel like your personal stone, Candace, should be whatever stone is drawing your attention in that moment, whatever stone is calling to you, whatever stone is kind of speaking to you and um, making you feel that sense of connection, making you feel that 
sense of the present moment. You know what I mean? So rather than worrying about doing crystal healing perfectly or working with crystals in an exact way that one person recommends, really think about this concept of what you're most needing right now. And that can be your personal stone for who you are in this moment. I think sometimes we get this concept of self and what the self is really um, overcomplicated. And, you know, we think that we're the sum of all of our past experiences or maybe the sum of our past experiences plus what we hope to be in the future. But really, truly, who we are as a person changes and evolves and moves from moment to moment. We are kind of an unending, changing energy ourselves. And I think a personal stone or stone that we're choosing to work with should change to match that when we need it to. So Candace, I hope that that helps answer your question. And if you have a question you'd like me to answer for you about crystals, spirituality, or anything else you're curious about right now, let me know over at loveandlightschool.com slash ask. The Crystal Healing Certification Program is coming soon. Want to know more? For info, free training, and to get on the list, go to crystalhealerschool.com. And now it's time for our main topic of the day. Remember, we are talking about Imbolc, the high holy day of Imbolc, and its place in the wheel of the year. And I am so excited to be talking about this today because it's actually going to be the first in a series of podcast episodes I'll be releasing this year about each of the eight holidays in the wheel of the year. And I'm really, really excited um, because this has really become a part of my personal spiritual practice over the past year and something I've connected with really deeply. You've heard me talk a lot on the podcast before about the cycles of the moon and how the lunar cycle has really helped me connect with nature, connect with my own energy and tap into what I've needed in terms of my connection to body, mind, and spirit. But the wheel of the year does this on a grander scale because the lunar cycle repeats itself every month, but the wheel of the year is an annual cycle. So one way that I've really learned to connect with the seasons and the changing of seasons and the cycles of nature and of the earth is by tuning into the wheel of the year. So as we approach Imbolc here in the Northern Hemisphere, I'm reminded of everything that the wheel of the year represents. And Imbolc is the first holiday from the wheel of the year that falls within our calendar year. So the wheel of the year really represents the cycles of light and dark. We have the light half of the year, the dark half of the year. It's about the constant flow and sort of this unending cycle of all things through birth, growth, death, into rebirth. And so because of this, the wheel of the year and kind of following and honoring these seasonal cycles can help you tune into the rhythms of nature. 
And it really helps you internalize these outward changes, these changes that are happening in the world all around you as reflections of the growth and evolution that you experience in your own life. And so living in harmony with the seasons and the ebb and flow of nature can help you lead a more soulful life and cultivate a much deeper understanding of yourself on a soul level. It helps us mark this passage of time as we go through each high holy day on the wheel, each season, each year. And connecting with this energy helps you recognize who you are and your role in the world around you. So what exactly is the wheel of the year? Well, it is a cyclical calendar, a representation of the year that's separated into eight main holidays. And so it's this representation of seasonal cycles that focuses on a combination of four solar holidays in the year. These are known as the quarter days, and they stem from Anglo-Saxon cultural observations of the solstices, so the winter and summer solstice, and the equinoxes, the spring and autumn equinox. But the wheel of the year also adds in four Gaelic agrarian seasonal celebrations, and these are at the midpoints between these four solar holidays. And because they're at these midpoints, they're known as the lunar cross quarter days or the Celtic fire festivals. So if you can picture this circle, the wheel is broken down into the compass points, which often are, correspond to these four solar holidays, the solstices and equinoxes, and then the cross quarters. So these would be at the little in-betweenies. These are our four Gaelic celebrations. And so Imbolc is the first of the cross quarter holidays, the Gaelic celebrations that are more agrarian and seasonal based on what was happening in nature rather than focused on the four quarter days, which are dependent upon the movement of the sun. So February 1st is Imbolc here in the Northern Hemisphere. It's the first of the cross quarter days, which marks the very, very beginning of spring. And it's actually at the midpoint between winter solstice and the spring equinox. And its origins are connected with the lambing season or the calving period when animals would begin giving milk. And the beginning of the spring sowing season, so seed sowing of the ancient Celts. Now, though Imbolc is most widely celebrated on February 1st, it might also be celebrated at the true midpoint between the winter solstice and the spring equinox, or even on the evening of the full moon nearest this date, or often on the evening of the full moon in Aquarius, although some dispute this and say it actually should be celebrated on the new moon in Aquarius. So you can kind of choose to adjust the date of your Imbolc celebration to coincide with your exact location by celebrating by taking your cues from nature. So for example, even though Imbolc is celebrated traditionally on February 1st, and that is likely when I will be enjoying my Imbolc celebrations, there's a little discrepancy here where I live in Wisconsin versus what's happening in nature in Ireland and Britain at this time where these holidays originate. 
So if you want to take your cues from nature, you can also adjust your seasonal celebration dates a little bit. So in bulk was often celebrated when the first spring flowers, things like snowdrops, crocuses, daffodils, or primroses began to emerge. And so here in Wisconsin, we actually just got probably about eight or 10 inches of snow last night. So it's hard to think that we're just a few days away from the first inklings and beginnings of spring that Imbolc celebrates. But in other places in the world where the weather is more temperate and where Imbolc was originally celebrated, the weather patterns are a little bit different. So don't feel like you have to adhere strictly to these dates and also know that there is a lot of wiggle room in terms of when these dates would have been celebrated. Again, most people choose to do this on a specific date, February 1st, but you can also go with that true midpoint between winter solstice and spring equinox or let nature kind of take the reins and you can celebrate whenever you see the first signs of those spring flowers poking up out of the earth. So in this week's blog post over at loveandlightschool.com. You can find the post about Imbolc and you can actually see a really fun time-lapse video of me setting up my Imbolc altar and I share with you everything that I choose to put on that altar and why, my preparation steps before I actually start, and then how I kind of finish things out. It's a quick video. I did it all in time-lapse, so if you want to kind of see that process and um, how I created my Imbolc altar this year, I would love to have you hop over and take a look. Again, you can find that video at loveandlightschool.com and check it out on the blog. Now, one of the things you'll see on that Imbolc altar, of course, are lots and lots of crystals. So some of the crystals that I associate with Imbolc um, are things like red garnet, carnelian, black onyx, bloodstone, pyrite, orange and golden calcite, citrine and amethyst, azurite, ruby, golden tiger's eye, red jasper, malachite, peridot, turquoise, and white moonstone. Now, some of these are associated with Imbolc because of their color, and we'll talk about associated colors a little bit later in this episode. Some are related to Imbolc because of what they represent, and we'll talk about some of the deeper meanings and associations of Imbolc, and you'll see how these crystals kind of correspond. And then others of these crystals I've included because of their connection to goddess Brigid. Imbolc is also known as Brigid's Day or St. Brigid's Day, and so we'll talk a little bit about Brigid's connection to this special holiday as well. So let's dig into what Imbolc is all about, what it signifies, and what it's time for. Imbolc is connected to renewal, right? That makes a lot of sense with the spring season sort of taking emergence, those first little bits of growth starting again. So it makes sense that renewal is a big theme here. It's also connected to fertility and midwifery. This makes sense again because of that connection to the lambing and the calving season. Um, we have animals coming into their milk and so there's this connection with fertility and with birthing. It's a time for coziness and love it's also a great time for purification and cleansing. If Imbolc marks the very, very beginnings of spring, 
it makes sense that we would start our spring cleaning chores now. It's, as I said, related to birth, but also rebirth. It's that return of spring, the end of the dying season and the beginning of the growing season. And because of that, it's connected to transformation and change. We're getting this turning of the wheel of the year and this new calendar year, um, creating that seasonal change and transformation. It's about emergence and hope and growth but it's also about grief and grieving the end of old cycles. It can be a time of initiation, and most people celebrate in bulk by doing a little bit of gardening or garden planning, as well as planting some seeds. And this can be literal planting of seeds, but it can also be the planting of seeds of things that you would like to see in the coming year. It's associated with the late winter as well as that first inkling of spring and with anticipation as we become excited about what's in store for this year, what's yet to come. It's also a great time for the release of what no longer serves you. So as we think about cleansing, purification, we also think about release and letting go, letting go of old patterns, old belief systems and ideas. It's about imagination and new ideas. It's about seeing the possibilities that lay in store for you. It's also connected to prosperity as we prepare ourselves for the abundance of a new season with protection, communication, and is a great time for planning and preparation because it's a time of new beginnings. It's also a time for awakening and creativity because we get to plan for all these possibilities that lie ahead and for warmth and the return of the light. This is one of the biggest things that Imbolc is about. It's about welcoming the light and the warmth and the sun back to the land. So why would we celebrate Imbolc? What's so special about this time of year? Well, Imbolc celebrates that first inkling of spring and welcomes in new growth and the return of warmth to the land after we've made our way through the darkest and coldest of the winter months. And you can imagine as difficult as winters can be in modern day for many ancient people and people even just a few hundred years ago in Britain and Ireland, the winter really represented great challenge and a time of great struggle. So to see those first signs of spring, to welcome back the sun as it returned to the sky for more and more hours a day, as it began to warm the land, this was a such a sign of hope. It was a sign that the struggle of winter, the challenges of winter were nearly at an end. And I think with everything that we've all been through in the past year, living through a global pandemic especially, we can definitely take some time to celebrate the end of the winter season and the return of the warmth to the land. Take time to celebrate new beginnings and new possibilities Imbolc is a celebration of hearth and home as we prepare ourselves and our spaces for the return of spring. 
making it the perfect time for that early garden planning and those early garden chores and for spring cleaning your home and your altar and your sacred space. So in bulk is a time to hold space for renewal, for fertility, purification, rebirth, hope, growth, planning, and new beginnings. And I can't tell you how desperately ready for all of those things I feel in this moment. Imbolc's name comes from the Gaelic phrase, in the belly, which refers to the abundance of pregnant ewes at this time of year. But it's also said to mean to wash, hinting at Imbolc's association with purification rituals and spring cleaning. Now, because of that association with cleansing, in bulk, as I mentioned, is also the time to release things that are no longer serving you and shedding the heaviness and the burden from the darker days that are now behind you, making room for the growth that's in store, kind of spurred on by the returning of the sun, by this fresh wave of energy. And so you can see how All of these things that are happening in nature are metaphors for what we can be doing and embracing in our own day-to-day lives. So how might you celebrate in bulk? What are some actual ways that you can celebrate this special day? Well, feasting is a common way to celebrate any of the eight high holy days on the wheel of the year. Visiting holy wells or springs in honor of goddess Bridget was very popular way to celebrate in bulk, especially by leaving offerings there and praying for health. Making Bridget's crosses from straw or reeds was very popular, and there's some great blog posts and YouTube video tutorials about this in summer. So ornate and beautiful, and some are quite simple. Divination was common at in bulk, especially weather divination and animal divination. And in my research of this holiday, I came across some really interesting stuff tied to this concept of divination that I want to share with you. So many of you listening, you're probably, of course, familiar with Groundhog's Day, right? If you're anything like me, you probably thought Groundhog Day was just some weird American made-up holiday. Not really sure of the origins, but we're all familiar with the concept of Groundhog Day, right? The groundhog comes out of its den, and I think it's if it sees its shadow, it means six more weeks of winter, right? Well, this actually goes back to a traditional form of divination about the weather that was connected with animals. So on Imbolc, this day that was supposed to be the first inkling of spring, people would go out and look for serpents or badgers. Both of these are strongly connected with Imbolc. And if they saw in their hike out in the land, in their time to appreciate and admire the reawakening of the land at the beginning of spring, if they saw or spotted a serpent or a badger, it was a good omen for the weather, meaning that these animals had decided to poke their heads out of their winter dens, that they were beginning to end their hibernation season, season, and that the warmth would soon return to the land. Now there's another connection here. So this was kind of the precursor to our modern day Groundhog Day, which is pretty interesting. 
Now there's another connection here to weather divination. And this one was particularly interesting for me because it has to do with the Calyx goddess, the Celtic Calyx goddess. And I have felt very connected to the Calyx goddess for a few years now. She is a crone aspect, a winter goddess. And it's said that she controls snow and ice and storms and winter weather. So on Imbolc, it was said that if the weather was nice, if it was a warm day, if it was a nice day, it meant that the Calyx had decided to warm up the land outside of her winter hut so that she could go out and collect more firewood to brace herself for the weeks ahead, meaning she planned to maintain a cold, snowy winter for longer. So if Imbolc was a nice day, it meant we were in for more bad winter weather to come. If, on the other hand, it was a cold day, a dreary day, a snowy day, it meant that the Calyx knew she was going to be ending winter soon, so there was no need to come outside and gather more supplies to stay warm in her winter hut. So that was really interesting to me. I love this connection to mythology and this form of weather divination that ancient people in Britain and Ireland used to work with when it came to this connection to Imbolc. So you can also plant seeds, as I mentioned. This was a common thing associated with Imbolc, and you can do this figuratively or literally. So I'm going to actually start some very early seeds on Imbolc, and I'm actually going to be planting some herbs that are associated with Imbolc on Imbolc Day and sprout those for my summer garden. So I'll talk a little bit about some associated herbs in just a little bit, but planting seeds is a great way to celebrate. This is also about connecting with the energy and light of the sun. So anything that you can do to connect with the sun on Imbolc would be a great way to celebrate. Go out for a hike, even if it's still cool weather. Feel the sun on your face. Take a moment to appreciate the warmth that the sun is returning to the land. Do an art project, a drawing, a painting, a sketch of the sun. Something to honor your connection to the sun in your life. Another common way to celebrate Imbolc was to leave strips of cloth outside overnight to be blessed by goddess Brigid. And so these strips of cloth, which were traditionally known as cluties, were often tied on tree branches, particularly of trees that were sacred to the Celtic people. And it was thought that goddess Brigid would come in the night and bless these strips of cloth and that they could then be worn as healing charms. Of course, I mentioned Imbolc's connection to purification and spring cleaning. So getting a jump on your spring cleaning, even if it doesn't quite feel like spring yet, and beginning to clean your home and altar after a long winter is a great way to welcome in Imbolc energy. Another way to traditionally celebrate Imbolc was in the churning of butter or the making of cheese. Remember I mentioned that Imbolc has a strong connection with ewes and the time that they are producing milk during the lambing season. And so Imbolc was the time when the first milk was 
being produced by animals again, and this was celebrated by churning butter and making cheese. And you can imagine, again, what ancient people had to go through in terms of their food preservation and storage all winter. And so to have something as decadent and delicious as fresh churned butter and fresh made cheese after a long winter of eating preserved and stored foods probably really truly felt like something to celebrate. Another way to celebrate that's super simple is to take a bundle of cinnamon sticks connected with prosperity, transformation, tie them together, and hang it somewhere in your sacred space. Really quick and easy, but a way to bring that in bulk energy into your space. And especially if you want to use a string or a ribbon of one of the colors associated with Imbolc that we'll talk about in a little bit, that would add another little layer of correspondence to this really simple way to celebrate. You can also create your own Imbolc altar using the correspondences uh, that I go through in this podcast or over on the blog post for some inspiration. And again, if you want to see me create my Imbolc altar in kind of a time-lapse, with some captions and descriptions of what I'm doing and why, you can check that out over on the blog post at loveandlightschool.com slash blog, but it will also be shared over on Instagram and Facebook. So just make sure you're following me there to find that and get future updates. You can also do a bit of candle magic on Imbolc. Like I mentioned, this holiday is connected with the light and the sun and the return of light. So candles are a common theme on an Imbolc altar. They make an appearance in many Imbolc celebrations. So whether that's dressing your own candles with specific herbs or oils, or maybe making your own candles, you can do the molded candles, the poured candles, or even dip candles. Um, I remember making dip candles with my grandma when I was a little girl, And you just take the candle wick and you dip it in wax, pull it out and let it dry for a couple seconds, dip it back in. And you kind of have to do this over and over and over. So it takes a good deal of patience, but that wax starts to build and you eventually get a really beautiful taper candle. You can light these candles to signify the lengthening of days and the return of the sun's light. So putting candles throughout your home and putting some on your altar or in your sacred space if you have one is a great way to welcome the energy of Imbolc into your home. You can start to prepare your garden for the spring. So if you're in a really cold place like I am, this might mean just making some garden plans or adding a house plant to your space. But if you're somewhere that's a little bit warmer and the ground has started to thaw or things are starting to wake up, you can do a bit of cleanup out in your yard and just get things prepared for the growing season ahead. You might also want to create your own Imbolc tea blend, a great combination is elderberries, rose hips, blackberry leaf, and raspberry leaf. These are all great things to add to a nice Imbolc tea. You can also ritually sweep your home with a broom, also known as a besom, for physical and energetic cleansing. So you get that kind of spring cleaning connection, but you can make this a bit of ritual and ceremony and energetically intend to cleanse your home or your space as well. 
You can also honor goddess Bridget at Imbolc, especially through any art or poetry or smithcraft or metalworking if you do that. It's a great way to connect with Goddess Bridget, who is so deeply associated with this day, and I'll get into that in just a moment. You might also try taking a purifying herbal ritual bath for cleansing your body, your mind, and your spirit, so you can add some cleansing or purification herbs or bath salts to a ritual bath for yourself for cleansing. Another way to connect with the energy of Imbolc and celebrate this day is to donate money to a charitable organization um, to show your gratitude for making it through the harsh season and to welcome in new abundance. And you can also donate items. Um, So especially if you're doing a bit of spring cleaning, decluttering your space, clearing things out, you can then donate those items to show, again, that gratitude and making space for new energy to come in. One of my favorite ways to honor Imbolc and something I fully plan to do is resting to honor yourself and to reserve some energy for the spring days ahead. So if you don't have it in you to make a grand gesture, to set up a big altar, to do anything else, just rest and honor yourself and know that this is a fine way to celebrate this day. You can also bless your home and your family with water from any holy well or spring. This was commonly done because of Imbolc's connection to goddess Bridget and Bridget being um, the goddess of sacred wells and springs. So water was often kind of sprinkled through the home as a blessing and a cleansing. You can also offer milk or grain as an offering to the earth or sea, again, to show your gratitude and to welcome in that new abundance. You might want to try a meditation to clear mental clutter. So this is kind of a spring cleaning for the mind rather than of your physical space. And finally, you can just take a stroll out in nature and look for some signs of the return of spring. Get familiar with what those signs of that return of spring look like in your local area, in your location, because this is a way for you to recognize when the earth is beginning to reawake and when that turning of the wheel and changing of the seasons is happening. Now, one final Imbolc tradition is to honor Goddess Bridget by leaving a loaf of bread or a pitcher of milk and a candle out for her on this day. In Avebury, Bridget devotees would actually climb the Silbury Hill, which is a Neolithic earthen mound, to eat fig cakes and drink water in honor of Bridget. So you can do this in your own way by leaving an offering in your sacred space or on your altar of a loaf of bread or a pitcher of milk um, or even just a small little dish of milk and a candle out for goddess out for goddess Bridget. So let's chat a little bit about the goddess Bridget's connection to Imbolc. So Bridget, who was later recognized by the Catholic Church as St. Bridget, is associated with Imbolc when we celebrate her as a bringer of light. So the history of Bridget is a little convoluted, um, and it can be a bit confusing, but historically, there's a record of a woman named, and I probably won't get this pronunciation down pat, but Darludaka, Darludaka, who was said to have become the abbess of Kildare Monastery upon Bridget's death. 
And the name Darludaka means daughter of Lu. Lu was the Celtic sun god, so the daughter of the god of the sun. And the Catholic list of saints lists her feast day as February 1st, the primary feast day of goddess Bridget, so Imbolc. It's speculated that Darludaka was the historical figure associated with the goddess Bridget and that Bridget was actually a title, possibly, meaning exalted one, rather than the name of an actual historical goddess. Now, much of what we have in historical reference to Celtic deities, Celtic spiritual practice, comes from two different places. It either comes from Greek and Roman writings about the Celts, so we have to kind of look at these with a certain understanding that it's one culture writing about people of another culture that they may not have fully understood some of their customs or traditions. It was their interpretation or perception of these. So we get much of our understanding of Celtic people, which is really just a name that's provided to people who spoke a common language and had um, common themes in the artwork that they created. We get much of that from Greek and Roman writers. So we need to kind of look at that with a grain of salt. The other source we have are writings about Celtic people, history, spiritual practice, etc., from later Celtic people after many of the Celtic areas and lands had become Christianized. So there's just an interesting uh, perception kind of looking back in history, even on one's own culture after such a significant change has taken place. So we also need to take these writings with a bit of a grain of salt and understand that when Celtic Christian scholars were writing about pre-Christian Celtic people, that there's going to be a certain perspective there um, that comes from that change in spiritual practice. And so sometimes there's a misunderstanding, sometimes there's a bit of judgment that comes along with these writings, and we just need to understand that when we're looking at them. And so through this whole change in history is where we get a little bit of a debate about Bridget and her role in Celtic society, Celtic spirituality, particularly in Ireland. So Bridget's presence is often represented um, and has been throughout history and still is in many cases by displaying a St. Bridget's cross, which is a cross woven of reeds, often using three or four sheaves of wheat or having three or four arms to this cross, um, typically joined at a square center. And it would be hung in the home as a symbol of protection, fertility, abundance, and blessings. And so there are many people that say when the pre-Christian goddess Bridget was later converted to St. Bridget by the Catholic Church, which makes sense, right? If the Catholic Church entered into these Celtic lands, particularly again in Ireland, and there was a goddess or a figure 
that was revered that wasn't part of the Catholic canon, it would make sense to sort of absorb that figure into the religion through this conversion to sainthood to give people a way to still revere and honor this goddess that they had felt connected with, but now under the umbrella of the Catholic Church. So there's there's a lot of debate among scholars even about how this worked and is there a historical reference for Brigid? Was she a goddess? Was she an abbess? Was she just a, a, a druid? Was she a Celtic priestess? Was she a healer? What was her role? And, and the answer is, I don't know that we'll ever truly know. But it would make sense that if there was a pre-Christian goddess of Brigid that the Celtic people were really attached to, that as Catholicism grew, they would naturally absorb those local deities, and it would make sense to convert goddess Brigid to Saint Brigid. And so it's said that devotees to goddess Brigid hung these woven Brigid's crosses in their homes as sort of a secret way of worshiping and honoring goddess Brigid after Ireland became predominantly Catholic. And it's still common now in modern day to make a new Brigid's cross each in bulk, connected with Bridget's Day and Bridget's Feast Day now in the Catholic Church. So Bridget's connection with Imbolc is really no coincidence. Why is Imbolc specifically known as Bridget's Day? Well, Bridget, as a goddess of the fire and the sun, which if we look at her lore and the story of her birth, um, she was connected with the sun's rays. It was said that the sun beamed from her head, was shining from her brow, as well as her connection with fertility and midwifery. It makes sense that her presence is felt at this time of year when the cold days of winter are mostly behind us and we're welcoming in that warmth and light of spring through the sun. So there's the connection to the sun, the connection to fertility with the lambing season. And one imbolc custom to honor the goddess Bridget is carried out by Gaelic women. So on this day, an image of Bridget in her maiden form is created dressed in white and placed in a woven basket, which was meant to represent a cradle. A crystal, or in some versions of the story, a shell, was placed over her heart and represented her purity. And this representation of the goddess is invited into the home by the female head of household by singing sacred songs and chants to welcome her into the space. There's also a reference to Bridget's connection to the special place where this story originates, describing how a serpent came out of the mound that was at this sacred hill. Again, the serpent being connected with goddess Bridget, a symbol of healing, it's been long linked to her. So it's said that this serpent would emerge from the mound in the early morning each in bulk in honor of the goddess. And this relates back to that bit of animal and weather divination that I talked about earlier that's also commonly carried out at Imbolc. But Bridget isn't the only 
deity connected with Imbolc. In fact, there are some other goddesses and gods that relate to this holiday. So Brigid, yes, especially in her maiden aspect um, or as the keeper of the sacred flame. Saint Brigid, of course, the Catholicized version of the goddess, as well as Saint Mary, because in more recent times, um, Saint Mary and the feast of the purification of the Virgin has kind of taken more precedence than Saint Brigid and Saint Brigid's feast day by the Catholic Church. So Saint Mary has become a little bit more of a centerpiece at this day. And, and we'll get into this in just a bit when I tell you about some other associations with Imbolc that include Candlemas. There's also the Triple Goddess, just the generic triple goddess. Bridget in herself is a triple goddess, but the triple goddess more generically um, is also connected to Imbolc. And we have, you know, the connection to the Calyx, the crone goddess, and the maiden Bridget representing that old age or death at the end of winter. So um, the end of the crone goddess time, moving into the maiden Bridget time, representing that cycle of change of uh, birth, aging, death, and rebirth. But this holiday is also related to Arianrod and Danu, as well as Juno. So Juno has a lot in common with Brigid, but Juno is, of course, a Roman goddess. But there's a history of a Roman holiday called Februalia, which is where we get the name for the month of February, that is very closely aligned with Imbolc and the celebrations that we have at Imbolc. And so Februalia and what was celebrated there, cleansing, purification, the return of spring, would celebrate goddess Juno, who had a lot in common with goddess Bridget. And historically, the Romans were pretty accepting of the beliefs of people that they conquered and would often integrate their own beliefs with those of conquered people. And so we have this correlation and correspondence between Juno and goddess Bridget and many, many similarities between them. Imbolc is also connected with the Calyx that I mentioned before, as well as with Morgan Thytus of Avalon, one of the nine Morgans of Avalon. But the symbolism with Imbolc doesn't stop at just deities. There are many other traditional Imbolc symbols. So I want to go through some of those with you right now. And I know it's strange just to list these in a podcast. It makes a lot more sense in the corresponding blog post when you can just sort of read through it. But I want you to know about some of these symbols so that if you're looking to create your own Imbolc ritual or celebration, you have some ideas of some key symbols that you might want to incorporate. And again, you can see my use of many of these symbols in that creation of my own Imbolc altar in the video that I made accompanying this blog and podcast. So common Imbolc symbols are things like snowdrop flowers, lanterns, candles, fig cakes, flames, and fire, especially that sacred triple flame of goddess Bridget, corn dollies, the sun, light, cauldrons, pumpkin seeds, shamrocks and clover leaves, the blackthorn tree, 
including the thorns, the branches, the leaves, and the flowers. The bear is a symbol of Imbolc. The waxing crescent moon, it represents that goddess in the maiden form of the triple goddess, so connecting with goddess Bridget in her maiden form. The Bridget's cross that we talked about earlier, woven from reeds. Sheep and lambs, of course, the ewes and lambs. Other fertility symbols in general. Roosters, sunflower seeds, the triple moon symbol. So that's where we have the waxing crescent, the full moon, and the waning crescent all joined together. A woven basket, a Bridget's wheel, doves, dragons, water, especially from holy wells or springs, but one way you could incorporate some water on your Imbolc altar would be to take some snow from outside, if you have snow where you live, and let it melt. Crocus flowers, robin birds, daffodil flowers, the lark, snow, rowan trees, rabbits and hares, sycamore trees, the hearth, the symbol of the hearth, which is the heart of the home, bread, root vegetables like potatoes, turnips, and carrots that would still be around um, being stored through winter, grain and barley, reeds and rushes, again woven into the Bridget's crosses, the Bridget's wheel, maybe even baskets, serpents and snakes, the badger or the groundhog, besoms and brooms as a purification symbol, the cow, another giver of milk, and dairy products themselves. So milk and cheese, again, would have been very common this time, so they're often used as offerings. The symbol of the swan, which is connected with goddess Bridget, and poppy seed breads or pastries. All of these things are connected with Imbolc and make great Imbolc symbols. Now, there are also some common Imbolc herbs. And the way that I like to work with most herbs is just to place a little bit of the herb in an offering dish on my altar. It's pretty safe, but remember, I mentioned earlier in this podcast episode, Imbolc is a time for planting seeds, literally and figuratively. So if you wanted to start some seeds for your garden this year, there are a few herb seeds here that would be great started on the day of Imbolc as a way to honor and celebrate this day. So some Imbolc herbs are angelica, basil, which I will be starting on Imbolc, which is a little bit earlier than I normally would, but I'm excited to try it and see how it goes. Bay leaves, blackberry fruits or leaves, cardamom, cedar, chamomile, which I'll also be starting some seeds of on Imbolc, chickweed, cinnamon, clary sage, clove, clover flower, colt's foot, dandelion leaf, dragon's blood resin and frankincense resin. So if you want to burn some incense for Imbolc, you could try one of these. Ginger, heather flower, jasmine flower, lavender, and I have about 10 different varieties of lavender seeds to start. I want to create an all lavender area of my garden with different varieties of lavender and see how that goes this year. Licorice root, myrrh resin, another one you can burn as incense, oak bark, 
peppermint, which is another one I'll be growing from seed and makes such great tea, really easy to dry your own leaves. Pine resin, which you can burn as an incense as well. Rose petals, rosemary, which is another one I'll be starting seeds of. Vervain, white willow bark, and wormwood. All of these are associated with Imbolc. And then you also have some colors associated with Imbolc, and these are easy to pull into a ritual or a ceremony if you'd like to do this for Imbolc, adding these things to your altar through candles. Like I said, candles are a big part of Imbolc, or you can even use these as a colored altar cloth. So the color purple, light blue, and dark blue, these are all associated with Imbolc, as is white. White is also connected to the goddess Bridget, along with gold, light green, dark green, orange, and red. And then you can also use some earthier colors like brown, pink, yellow, and gray to connect with this idea of the return of the warmth to the land. Now, I mentioned at the very beginning of this episode that Imbolc is traditionally celebrated on February 1st, although there's a bit of wiggle room there. Now, technically, any of the Gaelic agrarian festivals would have followed more of a Celtic set of rules, which means that the day actually starts at sunset and ends at sunset the following day. So technically, we would observe Imbolc from sunset on January 31st until sunset on February 1st, and then a new day would begin. Now, it doesn't necessarily correspond with the way that we view days in the modern time, which would be from midnight until midnight, uh, the calendar day, and it doesn't exactly correspond to the days that were observed according to the Romans, which was sun up to sun up. So it's a little bit different. Um, but I think, you know, staying with that tradition of beginning this holiday at sunset on the 31st, beginning your celebrations, and then extending them onto February 1st and enjoying the beauty of that return of the sun really helps connect you with the energy of Imbolc. Now, Imbolc is also connected with the Catholic holiday of Candlemas, which is the feast day of Mary of the Candles. It's also known as the Feast of the Purification of the Virgin. And this was, again, a, a way to connect Catholicism in with this traditional Gaelic agrarian festival. It's also sometimes called the Feast of the Torches. Now, there are also some other holidays um, that are loosely connected or related with Imbolc, um, but they have a little bit different roots. So there's the celebration of Lupercalia, which was traditionally done around February 13th. It's also called the Feast of Pan. This is a little bit more connected to our modern day Valentine's Day, but pretty close in date to Imbolc. And because depending on when the timing of the fuller new moon is and how Imbolc is being observed, there can sometimes be a little bit more overlap with Lupercalia or the Feast of Pan. And there are quite a number of other names for this holiday, depending on the people who were observing it. So we have names for this holiday in Welsh, in Gaelic, in modern Irish, in Scottish languages. And I have a list of all of those 
and when they were traditionally observed on the blog post. And if you do head over there, and this is a topic that's been interesting for you, I also have some suggested reading there. Like I said, I pulled together quite a bit of research for this blog post, so I have some books that I would highly, highly recommend if you want to learn even more about Imbolc, about Goddess Bridget, about the Wheel of the Year and Imbolc's place in it. So you can find that at the end of this article over on the blog. And I also explain if you're in the Southern Hemisphere, um, how you'll be actually celebrating the Festival of Lunasaw today on Imbolc instead of Imbolc to keep more with the seasonal cycles. And if you are in the Southern Hemisphere, you would be celebrating Imbolc on August 1st. Now, if you do hop over to the website, you can check out that suggested reading list and also a very special piece of artwork that I did to celebrate Imbolc and I had it turned into a gorgeous altar cloth. And this is the cloth that I use in the video that I share on this blog post where you can watch me set up my own altar. And I also came up with an Imbolc ritual kit. And both of these are available through my shop, Mimosa Books and Gifts. You can find them at mimosaspirit.com. Although we were sold out and were able to get a few um, altar cloths and ritual kits back in stock. Obviously, by the time this podcast airs, we won't be able to ship them in time for Imbolc this year, but we will have them available if it's something you're interested in. And you can also check out all of our other Wheel of the Year altar cloths and ritual kits at mimosaspirit.com. We have them ready to go for the next coming holiday, Ostara, followed by Beltane and all the others in the Wheel in the Year. And like I said, I am really excited because I plan to do a very special lengthy podcast episode for each holiday in the Wheel of the Year this year, um, along with a special video, piece of artwork, and creating these um, fun altar cloths and ritual kits for all of you. So my goodness, I think that was a long one today. So I think because this has been a longer episode, we'll probably skip the trending this week segment this week but we will pick up with that again next week. So thank you so much for tuning in and learning all about Imbolc and the Wheel of the Year. I hope that you found a lot of value in today's show. And if you want more information about anything I discussed in this episode, you can find it over on the website at loveandlightschool.com slash blog. And if you did enjoy the show today, of course, the biggest compliment you can give me is to leave a quick rating and review over at loveandlightschool.com slash iTunes. And I wanted to give a really special shout out to Jen S. Jen, I think it's Jen Streeb. Uh, Jen left five stars and says, amazing information and easy to listen to. I own a crystal hair care line, Air, that's A-I-I-R, and have done years of research, but listening to this podcast, I feel more connected with crystals than I ever have. Thank you so much. Jen, you are so welcome, and I actually Googled your hair care line. It looks so cool. I love what you're doing, so thank you so much for taking the time to leave that rating and the review. It really means a lot to me. So I hope that you all did enjoy 
listening to this episode of the podcast all about in bulk and the wheel of the year. Next week, I'll be sharing a crystal layout for physical healing from my book, Crystals for Energy Healing. Super excited to be back doing new podcast episodes with you here in the new year in 2021. Really looking forward to next week's episode already. And if you want to learn more about crystals and crystal healing, you can visit my website, loveandlightschool.com for tons and tons of blog posts, articles, videos, podcast episodes. You can also find all of our podcast episodes at loveandlightschool.com slash listen. But if you head over to the website at loveandlightschool.com, Right in the header, you'll see that we have a free video training series called How to Run a Crystal Healing Session Step by Step. And we've included a bonus distance healing with crystals lesson for this free training because I realize how important at this time during COVID distance healing has become. We also have a great bonus meditation for you there about discovering and awakening your inner healer and some fun printable sheets to help get you started with your crystal work. So you can find that right in the header of the website. It says immerse yourself in the world of healing crystals. There's a button to sign up for the free training and you'll learn all about how to run a crystal healing session. But if you're ready to jump past the basics, you want to learn even more, you love crystals, you like hanging out with me every week, then I would love for you to visit crystalhealerschool.com and learn more about my upcoming crystal healing certification program. We'll be opening enrollment in just a few weeks. I'm super excited about this new round of the program. I can't wait to get started with a great round of new students and it's something I look forward to twice a year when we open enrollment for the program. So if that's something you like to check out, just visit crystalhealerschool.com for all the details about how the program works. You can sign up to get on the wait list, which means you'll be notified when enrollment opens. We'll also send you a course syllabus so you can look at everything that you'll be learning in the program. And it's a great way to kind of take your interest in crystals a few steps further on your journey. So thank you again for listening. That brings us to the end of this episode of the Love and Light Live podcast. I'm your host, Ashley Levy, and I'll be back with you in our next episode. Until then, crystal blessings. Do you feel intuitively called to work more deeply with your stones? To grow your confidence, knowledge, and connection to crystal energy beyond what you can learn on your own? Our award-winning Crystal Healing Certification Program will take you from crystal lover to a confident, certified crystal healer and help you discover your soul's path and crystal purpose. Maybe you want to deepen your personal spiritual practice by connecting more deeply to your stones. Or maybe you're already working with crystals, but you want to learn some more advanced energy healing techniques. Wherever you're at on your crystal journey, the Love and Light School's CCH program can help you become the confident and intuitive crystal healer you know you can be. Are you ready to listen to the nudges from the universe and take the next steps on your crystal journey? Our CCH program is here to support you every step of the way. The Love and Light Live podcast is a production of the Love and Light School of Crystal Therapy. Connect with us online at loveandlightschool.com or on social at loveandlightschool.com.